Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. It's Thursday morning, and so we are continuing our conversations about Rebels Season 4, today covering Episodes 7 and 8, Kindred and Crawler Commandos, as we move our way towards the end of Rebels, move our way towards Ahsoka, move our way towards all things Star Wars. We'll be right back with myself, Riki, and Sarah Hayashi after this commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. I'm joined for almost all things rebellious by at least one or both of the Hayashis, this time both Riki and Sarah, the family Hayashi. How are you doing tonight? Hello. We're doing well. How are you? Pretty well. Pretty well. Riki, are these once again your favorite episodes ever? No, no, they're not. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. That is that okay. That streak has been broken. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think we've had a dud since... I mean, we don't really have many duds in Rebels. Overall, the, the the quality is much higher. Like, there are some of the highs in Clone Wars that I'm not sure we ever quite get to in Rebels, but I, there's not many dud episodes, and certainly not this season. No, by, by no means are these duds. And I, I think they do some very important things that we're going to talk about, but mm -hmm. it, it's hard to sustain the kind of success that this show has had for, for such a long time. So... Some yeah. some small valleys to get back to the, the high peaks is okay by me. Yeah, I think it's a good way to see it. I think, I think if I was watching this week by week, these are weeks when I would have been left wanting a little more because they weren't quite, they didn't really have much of the punch that some episodes do, but we're definitely going in good directions. And when we're watching them two at a time or even better, eight at a time as Rebels, I think should be watched. Yeah, these are, these are just going to be fine chapters. Uh, let's start with episode seven, Kindred. Uh, Sarah, do you want to tell us what happens in episode 66 overall, episode seven of season four, oh, no. Kindred? Yeah. Uh, so Ezra, Jai, Kel, and Zeb move to secure the TIE Defender's hyperdrive before Imperial recovery teams can find it. But Thrawn's already dispatched an additional helper for the search, Ruch, an assassin and an unerringly accurate tracker. As Zeb takes the hyperdrive to safety, Ezra and Jai end up being chased by Rook. They elude him with much difficulty, but a tracking beacon Rook is attached to their speeders leads Governor Price to the Ghost Crew's hideout. While Hera and Chopper evacuate... While... <laughs> nope. Okay, one more time. Third time's the charm. <laughs> While Hera and Chopper evacuate to Yavin with a stolen flight recorder, the rest of the rebels face the incoming Imperials to cover their retreat. Just before the two groups clash... The white Lothwolf reappears and leads them to a hidden tunnel complex imbued with the Force. Walking mysterious paths, the rebels inexplicably find themselves in a hidden settlement halfway across the planet, which was visited in ancient times by the Jedi who erected a secret temple on the Thal. And, this, and they discover that the Lothwolf is a messenger of the Force, here to tell them of a more sinister goal pursued by the Empire. Yeah, so... Interesting episode. And let's start with the appearance of a new character, because am I correct? I know that um, Riki has read the Timothy Zahn uh, original books about Admiral Thrawn, heir to the Empire. Sarah, am I, am I correct? You have not. I have not. That's correct. Okay. So I, I'm asking this because 
Rook is a character who originally appears in those books, so I think in a somewhat different form. And so I want to hear from both of you. But Sarah, let me start with from start with you as someone who had never experienced this character in the book. What do you think of this character? He's a strange fellow. Um, it was when he was introduced. I like there was a part of me that wasn't even sure if he was like an animal or a like sentient being. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was interesting. And he's he's got this very like, tracker dog kind of sensibility about him. Yep. He has, speaks very few words, um, but seems to be friendly with having worked before with Thrawn. Um, Thrawn seems to hold him in high esteem. But yeah, it does seem to be using him as sort of a, a blunt instrument, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we a couple of times see him... Uh, as he's trying to move quickly, he moves on all fours mm-hmm. instead of just on two legs. I think that's where a lot of the kind of animalistic thing. But also, yeah, he's sniffing everything all the time. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I recall him, like, when he shows up to Governor Price, he, like, kind of smells her in a, in a way that, like, a dog mm-hmm. might come up and sniff you. Or, like, yeah, some sort of hunter animal. Yep. Uh, Ricky, what about yourself? Well, are we, are we going to talk about the this backstory then? Yeah, of course. So in the novels, I mean, I, I don't think in this series they ever say the race's name, but he's a part of a race correct, yeah. called the Nogari, who are kind of enslaved slash indebted to the Empire. Um, like a, a starship crashes on their planet and the Empire shows up and says, hey, like there's some con- there's some radioactive contamination from the ship. We will supply you with the machines to help clean this up. But in return, and this is, I think the Vader personally negotiates this, says, in mm-hmm. return, you have to work for us as basically like spies and assassins because they seem skilled in these arts. Wait, hold on. So right. it's like we have crashed a ship on your planet and we'll clean it up for you, but also you owe us? Yes. That's... No, it's the, it's the idea is that the some great space battle happened. Oh, okay. And... At first, we all think it must have been a battle between the Republic, uh, between the um, Rebellion and the the Empire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But eventually it's learned that this crash happened long, long ago, probably during the Clone Wars. Okay, okay. And the secret that ends up being revealed is that the machines, in fact, are not cleaning up the planet. They are maintaining the radioactivity. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of perpet- perpetual ser- servitude by tricking them. Sure. Saying like, we're going to continue cleaning up your planet, but you have to keep working for us. And meanwhile, those machines are furthering the contamination or at least maintaining it. The government tricking someone into perpetual servitude? No. Shocking, shocking. What ends up happening is Thrawn somehow finds out about this and inherits, you know, the Empire's position of servitude. Because Vader was the initial contact, and obviously he dies at Endor. And then at some point, Thrawn shows up and is like, okay, yeah, keep working for us. And especially you personally, be my assassin. Okay. To Rook. So Rook. Yeah, yeah, the way that he pronounced it is pretty good. But yeah. And and I would say that, not to revive the age-old debate, which I'm sure will continue for, for months and years ahead, but among the people who discuss back and forth whether Thrawn is a villain or an anti-hero or a misunderstood, you know, whatever he is, the fact that at least in those original novels, he so callously re-enslaves the Nogri, I think is often used as a like, yeah, 
this is not. He, he may have a noble goal, but he is not uh, using noble means by sure. any means. Yeah. And I believe it's yeah, I, Leia who ends up making contact with them and freeing them because she they rec- they via smell like they they have right. the heightened smell and via smell they recognize her as daughter of Vader, yeah. and so feel like a personal debt to her. Even yeah. though they find out that the Empire betrayed them, yeah. they still hold Vader in high esteem. Interesting. So they don't think Vader betrayed them, just like the Empire? Or whatever, like... There, there's actually a wonderful, like, and not to go too deep into those books, but yeah, there's a wonderful description of her attempting to find the diplomatic strategy where she has to be very careful to not actually say that the that Vader lied, yeah. but that Vader was mistaken. Ah, And okay. kind of... Yeah, and it's a very interesting, like, her whole thing about, like, do I lie about the fact to lead them to the truth? And I mean, it's a wonderful book. And I think huh. gives a great picture of Leia. Uh, and yeah, and I think that part of the idea is that they're incredibly good in the shadows. In the books, they're portrayed much more as, like, feline. I mean, I think they're basically supposed to be kind of like, in the way that, like, humanity is derived, you know, from apes, mm. I, I think in this world we often see other humanoids that are derived from other kinds of animals. In the book, I think it's supposed to be they're kind of feline, and this, they're more canine. And it's less... But yeah, one of the points in the books is that they're always hiding in the shadows and surprising people and freaking out Captain Pelion. And I, I remember being a little disappointed by this one the first time I saw it, but then the more I thought about it, thinking... I don't know how well you could really animate the the feline nature as they're portrayed in the books, let alone the whole hiding aspect doesn't really work out here in broad daylight. So, yeah, you know what? This this one works. Yeah. And they're definitely hunters. They're definitely assassins. They definitely enjoy toying with their prey sometimes. And I think in, in all those regards and, and the, in they are much more animalistic than the humans of the empire are comfortable with. And so I feel like they captured all that really well. Yeah. The Nogri in the books really remind me of like Batman, the way, you know, he just shows up and commissioner Gordon's mm-hmm. just like, ah, how long have you been standing there? And, and exactly. Rook definitely has that ability. I don't know if it's, a, it. do they ever describe it as like, like force adjacent or anything that they can somehow cloud people's minds? Am I misremembering that? No, I think it's just that they move entirely silently and that they're very good at hiding and they're very good at moving in the shadows. Right. Um, which I, I have had cats sneak up on me completely out of nowhere and be like, <laughs> where in the world did this animal come from? So Yeah, yeah, I feel that. But yeah, it, it's a shame to me that, at least in this series, they never really bring up any of the, any backstory. They're just like, yeah. this is Rook. He's an assassin that works for Thrawn. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, yeah I'll be curious. I... Again, I don't know if you can make them work live action, and there's so much else going on in Ahsoka that I'm not sure I want to bring in this yet again. But it would be nice if that gets portrayed on screen at some point, especially since Heir to the Empire apparently is a movie that's going to be made. Um, Especially because, and I, I don't want to give away any spoilers here, but if you've read the book, you know that... um. The, the path of the Nagri and Thrawn's path have a number of interactions still to go uh, that we've not yet seen in Rebels. And we may never see, but it'd be interesting to see where that all goes. Mm. So, All right, what about, else about this episode? What do you all think of this episode overall? I I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it is a little, like, I don't know, I get plot thin, trip heavy. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I really liked the Loth Wolves. I like I really enjoyed the creepy walk through the tunnel, wake up in a mm-hmm. wheat field looking at a Loth cat because like it's always a wheat field for some reason. Um, yep. and the and I I. I really really loved the method of like we're on the other side of the planet how did this happen oh magic and like nobody (laughs) feels the need to explain it any more than that which is yeah great well the writers give us a a beautiful wink in this episode when Ryder azadi is like we're following the lothwolves and i believe zeb is the one who said no this is good when things get weird it's good it's a good thing or something along those lines and it's it's very much like winking to the audience that hey we get it this is weird it shouldn't really work like but suspend your disbelief and have some fun yeah i think it's very true and it does allow Ryder azadi at one point to have a wonderful line where they're doing yet some other weird follow the wolves thing and he says how have you people stayed alive so long (laughs) which i thought was kind of a nice like nod and a wink to like yeah it's awesome that they do this but it is pretty weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the, the whole concept of plot armor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I feel about this season, I think, more than any of the others. Like, there's always been kind of an overall story to the season. But I think a lot of the episodes have felt fairly episodic. Not in a bad way, but just in kind of that, that day in the life phrase that I like so much. Mm. I think this is, it's kind of like the later, latest, se- the last seasons of Buffy, where we're pretty much done with any episodes that are just episodic. Everything really is. The characters start in one place and end in another. That's part of their journey. And I kind of feel like, you know, judging this as an, because of that, judging this as an individual episode doesn't make as much sense. Cause it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I really enjoy this book. And the book had 32 chapters and chapter 27 wasn't very memorable, but it kind of was a big part of building to the end. So yeah, it's 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 a good episode. It builds where it needs to go. Yeah, right. Like like chapters twenty six and twenty eight wouldn't have made much sense on their own. So I'm glad we have chapter yeah. twenty seven. But yeah, it's not not something I'm gonna super write home about. I mean, I do. I think the cave was neat, where they um went and looked at kind of the sort of cave paintings of old Force users. Mm-hmm. I like that there was a Yoda up there as a nice little yep. Easter egg. Um and and yeah, just really really enjoyed the like. These wolves are some sort of force magic users, and like as yeah, um, like there's the whole like aren't all things part of the force? And Kanan explains like no, no, this is something different, and like yeah, we didn't get any talk about the, their midichlorian count or any sort of scientific yeah. reasoning behind this, right? And like there's nothing wrong with that per se, but I also like that we can have like a spiritual reasoning, right? Kind of acknowledging yeah. the more like religion aspect of Jedi. I think so. I think it's especially powerful because we've had a lot more of the rebellion, you know, Mm -hmm. and the politics of the rebellion and how it's all coming together and the lay people who are really involved. And so having a little bit more now of the mysticism of the like, this isn't just about a battle for one particular planet and a factory that's making one particular kind of starfighter. It's this mythical battle of, you know, the primordial forces Mm -hmm. that I think is really powerful and kind of helps set up especially because that's kind of been Ezra's thing. You know, Ezra has for some time shown really in a way that I think very few other Jedi have this kind of control over animals mm-hmm. and, and, and not just a, like can make them do what he wants, but also like, you know, a connection to them and, and, and that he often listens to them as much as they, they listen to him. 
I'm not going to stand for this Obi-Wan slander. <laughs> Obi-Wan denial. <laughs> Obi-Wan was good at riding animals. But yeah, no, I, I agree with what Matthew's saying. That, like, um, Ezra has this, like, sort of sympathetic relationship with yeah. animals. And it's, it's, I think it's really cool because he's also not gotten a sort of traditional Jedi education, right? Like, he had, um, he's being taught by Kanan, who... In, in, in like Kanan himself is kind of like a hippie-ish aspect of the force who didn't yeah. complete his training so right he's got this more pure I guess uh, experience mm-hmm. of the force like without these layers of, of the politics of like the, yeah. of the high republic and the republic and all that stuff and I like that that leads it seem, seems that that leads to this mm-hmm. sort of animal connection as well I mean, in many ways, this gets more into the picture we get of them from the books, but I think even the movies hint at this a little bit. They both feel a lot closer to Qui-Gon mm-hmm. than I think to Obi-Wan or Yoda or some of the others. You know, yeah. he often is portrayed, I think, as being much more mystical and, and in tune with the Force, not as just like an energy, but kind of as, you know, like a, the spiritual nature of all reality. Yeah. Um, am I right? Is this the episode where we get some romance or is that next episode? The, this uh, this well yes this episode it was we've like, been getting romance all season we've been getting attempts at what? romance all season and then we uh, do but I think we get uh we get some payoff to that uh which I don't think is coincidental because I think that's another part of the spiritual and the the mystical and the the ephemeral of it all uh yeah because we get Hera and Kanan having this kind of talk and 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 Kanan still does feel it seems like. He want, he's ready to be done. He's mm-hmm. ready to feel like that they have done their part and now they can kind of retire and let other people pick up the fight. And Hera is really like, no, no, we got to keep doing this. And you get the sense that there's been some tension between the two of them about this. Uh, but it ends with them kind of committing to be on the same path together, to keep fighting the Empire and with a wonderfully romantic kiss and kind of a swell of music and the rom-com-ness and then all of their family and kind of like kids. literally like, <laughs> yeah, I think, like poking uh, and, yeah. yeah, one of them is not looking the right way. And so like Ezra p- pokes him and no, they're yeah, all looking Sab- at mom Sabine, and dad kiss. Sabine is like elbowing Zeb like, look, look, yep. they're kissing. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, you mentioned the rom-com of it, right? Like the previous episode, I think they were like doing some recon in a back alley and like very close and talking and like maybe just about to kiss. And then someone comes over the radio and interrupts them. And at the beginning of this episode, they're like having this talk. Um, and that, yeah, about Kanan, not sure where they're going to be at the end of the rebellion or whatever. And like, again, about to kiss. And then Ryder Mm -hmm. Zadi shows up and is like, Hey, we got company. So all these like missed moments finally like accumulating with them smooching yep. it's very very sweet very romantic i like it that's I like it. that scene at the beginning of this episode where kanan is meditating and hera comes to talk to him mm-hmm. i i think that that is one of the key conversations for understanding the season and maybe even the show mm-hmm. in that kanan talks about lothal like some somehow it's always lothal like mm-hmm. we keep coming back and Hera tries to deflect, say, oh, well, this is where Ezra's from. So obviously, like, we had to come back and help him. He's like, no, yeah. like, even before Ezra, like, Lothal has been their home for this crew. Yeah. And I, I would argue that, you know, to borrow a, a Marvelism, that Lothal is not a place, it's a people. Hmm. And in addition yeah. to the whole found family thing, this show is about finding a home. 
and fighting for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think that's very true. I actually thought that you're going to go in a slightly different direction, which is that I think that Lothal is a home. It is a people, but it's also clearly been a locus of mystical power this entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, with all the stories about that the Jedi came long, long, long ago. And so, yeah, it feel like I, I to me it it contributes both to the the found familyness of it, to the romance of it, to the this is our people, this is where we're 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 making our fight, but also the the kind of like it's not coincidence that like the loth wolves are here and the temple is here, yeah. like every this has been a source of mystical force power for however many millennia. Exactly, and it's when I say like it's not a place, it's a people. Like obviously they're gonna fight for this planet for the the place but really like it's the way that they've been gathering allies and this we'll see much more of this as the season goes on but they are adding people to this crew to the the specter crew right right they don't get specter numbers but like Ryder azadi has definitely become a part of this family this season yep don't they give jai a number i thought they referred to I don't think so. Oh, right. He he doesn't get a number, and I just like that's rough, buddy. You know, like he deserves a number. <laughs> yeah, or at least like but, you need a code name for yeah. like the the alternate who's on our team at the moment. But yeah. But the yeah. fact that also like they brought Jai Jai Kel back from what was that like yeah. season two, and mm-hmm. he he's mm-hmm. a Lothal native, so all of these people who live on Lothal are are coming around to this cause. I also, yeah. I I really liked that little speech as kind of like a meta acknowledgement of why we're always back on the fall um right because i feel like especially if you think of the original like star wars episode four it's like tatooine is described as this backwater no like back backwater place where nothing happens but everything happens there, right? So having yeah. Lothal, setting up originally the idea of Lothal is just some other planet in the galaxy, but then have Kanan acknowledge, like, no, there's something special about this place. There's a reason we keep coming back to this place. Um, yeah. I think kind of, A, that, like, the kind of nowhere places can be special places is, like, a, mm-hmm. a nice little message that I like. But also, like, trust the process a little bit, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's very true. I love I love the addition of Ryder Azadi to this mm-hmm. crew because on the other side, you know, Thrawn is the big villain for the Empire, but Governor Price has been like much more of a for, like on the front type general, like mm-hmm. in these situations, mm-hmm. like in this episode. And Price and Azadi are both governors. You know? mm-hmm. I think she yeah. replaced Azadi as governor when the Empire took over. Because yeah. he he couldn't stomach it anymore, so like there's this yeah. contrast in like the two the two people who have been in power in Lothal in this conflict. Yeah, he was uh, and he and his story goes all the way back to he had fought with the Bridgers with Ezra's parents, mm-hmm. and he was in prison at the same time they were. Mm-hmm. Yes, that also brings up I think another thing that's really interesting, and this kind of goes back to the Rook stuff, but is connected. Um, part of why Thrawn brings in Rook is that he no longer trusts uh, mm-hmm. Price. And not in a, like, I th- she thinks that, he thinks that she's betraying him. He just thinks she's incompetent and can't get the job done. And I think this is interesting because this is him kind of separating himself from the imperial bureaucracy. He's like, the, you know, Rook is not someone who, well, we don't really know what his connection is, but Rook is clearly not, you know, your average, he's not part of the imperial hierarchy in some way. He has a direct loyalty to Thrawn. And so that, I think, is another interesting development in terms of, like, 
how you know these different power structures are happening and where everybody fits yeah i was i was gonna say like i first i really enjoyed thrones like sick burns against price of like mm-hmm. you well clearly you do need help getting this done because you haven't got it done so um but he, you mentioned that like he'd lost confidence in her or like lost um like had yeah like he had sus- not suspicions of her i forget exactly your wording matthew um right. but lost confidence in her yeah. lost confidence yeah um but it it feels like he didn't i don't know thrones like so practical he didn't really need like he never needed to show confidence in price to begin with price was kind of just a right. tool right and like if she's not working then you just replace the tool and he doesn't care about yeah. her feelings he doesn't care about like her rank in the empire he cares about getting the job done and it's interesting because i don't think that's really played off here but in the later books that's actually built in quite a lot is that thrawn is incredibly competent in a lot of ways but very politically inept Mm -hmm. and so like i think part of the idea would be that like not only is he not like because some might see that like oh you're bringing in Rook as a way to kind of signal to Price that she's not doing well enough and that therefore she should, you know, to motivate her to do better. I think in this, yeah, you're right. He's not even thinking about that. I think in in some of the books, it would be implied that he just doesn't even know how to think that way, mm. which is an interesting development for his character. And I think is ma- meant to make him be separate representative of like autism or, or folks who are somewhere on that spectrum. It, it, it raises a lot of eyebrows, I think, because so much of what he's able to do is be very good at reading people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, no, okay. But either way, yeah, I think it's an inter- like I don't think any of again, all that is written after Rebels, so I don't think any of that's meant to be here. But yeah, it is interesting just to see it see his interactions with her in that light. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think I, I totally get what you're saying about the him not succeeding in politics. Um, because yeah, yeah, he's very like, like it's his way. Or there's no other way because his way is the right way. So why even consider a different way? Um, and like doesn't seem to really care about, I don't know, political power in that yeah. way. He cares about like being efficient and getting his end goal right. accomplished. So Thrawn, to me, Thrawn is very arrogant. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he knows that he's right. And he expects other people to know that he's right. Mm-hmm. And, and for it to be like very glaringly right. obvious. So if you don't agree with him, you're wrong. And like, why should he worry about people who are wrong? And he doesn't yeah. under understand or chooses not to engage with people who are wrong, I think, is his issue. And yeah. and he doesn't he doesn't spend time trying to convince them. That's like the no politics angle of it, mm-hmm. right? Like he doesn't right. want to worry about convincing other people that he's right. They should just understand that he is and go along with it. And if they yeah. disagree with him, like he doesn't really know how to deal with that other than perhaps to appeal to a higher authority, the emperor, and convince him that he's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair. All right. Anything else to say on this particular episode before we move on to the next one? No. I think, yeah, th- like the, the sick burns against Governor Price was the only thing I was going to bring up. And, and she also yeah. returns the favor oh, to yeah. Rook. Oh, yeah. Right? Like he, yeah. he quote unquote, fails once like to catch, catch the rebels, and she immediately just like, needles him on that like now we're gonna do it my way again because you failed yeah i think whatever thrawn's intention she definitely does feel threatened and i think also just sort of feels like this person doesn't belong here he's not part of the imperial structure yeah Mm -hmm. and and very Um, typical like lack of cooperation amongst imperials always always trying to one-up each other yep exactly 
All right, so let's do the second episode. Episode eight, Crawler Commanders. Commandos? After the fall, rebels, commando, command, commandeer. Oh. Crawler commandeers. Huh. Commandeer. So wow. we're both wrong, yeah. <laughs> commandeers. The, the crawler commandeered something. After the Lothal rebels have taken shelter in the ancient settlement, they discover a mining guild or crawler stripping Lothal's surface for raw materials passing by and decide to hijack it to establish contact with Hera and the Yavin rebel, and the Yavin rebel base with its communications. However, the crawler's captain shuts down the vehicle and raises the alarm, and as Sabine works to reactivate it, Kanan and Zeb discover a number of slaves in the hull, among them Vizago, who was sold to the guild by the Empire. Working together, the rebels and the former slaves waylay an incoming Imperial patrol investigating the distress call and prevent the captain from destroying the crawler. In the meantime, Hera, unwilling to wait any longer, inspires rebels to command to conduct an immediate assault on the factory where the TIE Defender is being produced, and after communication is established, Ezra team, Ezra's team agrees to coordinate the impending assault from the planet's surface. And then note, this is the last episode to take place in the year 1 BBY or before the Battle of Yavin. So this is kind of, we're now very much into, uh, you know, we're, we're only a year away from that battle. We're getting into the final, final times. Yeah. Yeah. What do we think? I love Mizago. I love that mm-hmm. he was there uh, and that the, when, when initially they come across Mizago, Mizago is very, extremely grateful and knew in his heart that the rebels would obviously coordinate this effort to free him specifically. And then mm-hmm. Ezra and, Kay, and like Ezra and Zeb were just like, y- yes, that is why we are here. <laughs> cool. And like eventually Mizago figures it out, but doesn't doesn't hold it against him. I think that that could have like been a moment for Visago to be like, screw you guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's just good to see Visago again. He's a, he's a fun guy. Yeah. I really liked it, especially because the first time I watched it, I was like, wait a minute, what? They're kind of writing Visago as though he is Hondo. Isn't Visago supposed to just be the bad one? Until I realized what I think they were doing, which is showing that like, yeah, Five years ago, when the Empire was just starting to, like, brush up against some of these folks, you had someone like Hondo and then someone like Vizago, and, like, Hondo was kind of like a lovable scamp. Vizago was just out for his own. But now it's kind of like, A, in the face of the Empire, Vizago really doesn't look that bad. (laughs) But also in the face of the Empire, someone like Vizago is a lot more willing to, like, work as a team and to not be, you know, he's been enslaved. And I think that's a lot, it's an eye-opener of, like, yeah, no, maybe... You are right that there's this bigger evil out there that we need to fight. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the whole, like, being bought and sold maybe changed his perspective a little bit. But even then, like, even when we last saw Vizago, he was, I mean, willing to stick his neck out for the rebels. And, like, I think this is, like, they say that him doing that is what got him ultimately captured by the Empire. Um, But Mm -hmm. even just the fact that he was willing to do that, I think, shows how much he changed. Or at least, like, like, come around, I guess. Yeah, or realize that the best thing for him would be to fight the Empire. So maybe he's still doing it for selfish reasons, but yeah. I don't. I don't think it's for selfish reasons. Yeah. I think this, like a being enslaved and also being put to work on this crawler that is devastating Lothal, because Visago, I believe, is the, Lothal is his home, right? Or is it? Le- it's yeah. at least where he's mm-hmm. based out of. So he's lived there for a while. And so I think he is seeing this struggle as not just like some 
galactic struggle to restore the Republic. Like, he wouldn't care about that. He now understands, like, this is, he's fighting for his home. Yeah. To protect it. It it reminds me a lot of how kind of the same thing happened when the Separatists came to Hondo's planet. And all of a sudden he was like, no, this this is not cool. I don't want this. And I'll work with the Jedi if I have to. Yeah. I mean, and I guess maybe that's what I mean by, like, a selfishness, I suppose. Like, it's not pure altruism. He's only doing it because it matters to him personally now. But, I mean, you've come around. That's fine. I'm not going to be picky about your reasons, your specific reasons for fighting, not being good enough. Right? Like When just the ability to see my selfish goals and your goals are basically the same so we can work together and maybe I'll kind of, like, not double cross you along the way. Yes, yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, One thing I noted in this episode is that it's never explicitly said, but the... Uh, the slave captain, the captain of the crawler, is a. Uh, uh, as far as I know, he's a he's another Trandoshan who have been th- these kind of lizard people who have who are always portrayed as the 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 hunters, the the the, the slavers. They have a long-standing war against the Wookies because they've been the ones enslaving the Wookies for some time. Um, and we were joking before. I think I think on one of these episodes, might have been with somebody else, uh, but about how. They're kind of one of the few races that is just never, ever redeemed, like redeemed. Like, you know, we get uh, some of the other races always have at least some good person. But I did read a novel recently. I believe it was one of the High Republic novels where there was like a little vignette of like, here's something happening in a different part of the galaxy. But it was a Trandoshan um, cameraman who was like helping a reporter and, like, he did something noble to save her, and the reporter, like, did a, a eulogy for him about how he was the bravest Trandoshan she'd ever met. So, we do have one example of a good Trandoshan, but here we have yet another bad one. Yeah, okay, and, like, were, were they both Trandoshans? Or, like, because I know that the dude who was down with the slaves was a Trandoshan. Was the captain of the ship also? Because he was, like, some kind of lizard dude, but I don't think... He was trying to I Dojo? thought so. I, I guess Maybe? it was the one down by the down by the slaves who definitely was, was yeah. definitely. But I, I thought they both were, okay. but it, it it's yeah. not made clear. I mean, so for people who are listening, just if you don't know who a Trandoshan is, okay. it's Bosk, the bounty hunter, is like probably the most famous yep. example. And the foreman they're talking about mm-hmm. like definitely has that face and body type. Well, I think they explicitly reference him being a Trandoshan yeah. too in the, the episode. The captain it could be a Trandoshan, but has like yeah. a much smaller body, like a chameleon kind of dude. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, maybe so he car- could be like a related species, also yeah. reptilian. Yeah. Um, um. But yeah, I think like I, you brought up an interesting thing about this idea of like evil evil races, and I know that like um like D and D is phasing that out. The whole idea mm-hmm. of like this this entire race of people are the bad guys is like a weird look. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad to know of the the one Trandoshan camera guy. <laughs> the very least, it was nice. Yeah, I will also note, and I I don't think this is supposed to be a reference to the Trandoshans, or even if it's supposed to be like an intentional thing, as well as just like they just wanted to set up a cool moment for Ezra. But we have seen a number of times where Ezra is in a fight with a bad guy, and like wins the fight and now the bad person is about to fall off a ledge or fall to their doom and Ezra will stop them using the force and be like okay well you know you're arrested or you're my prisoner but I'm not gonna let you die whereas here there's basically like an open furnace 
Uh, again, there's no OSHA regulations anywhere in Star <laughs> Wars. And the Trandoshan, like, is fighting with Ezra. And then, like, because of where Ezra's lightsaber is, loses his balance and falls backwards into this furnace with a kind of, like, you know, very clearly, like, oh, no, this terrible person just had a terrible, terrible death happen to them. And Ezra doesn't push him. Ezra doesn't make it happen. But Ezra makes absolutely no move whatsoever to stop it and looks pretty damn happy. I mean, I think he says something like, you know, I won't be seeing you. I forget the exact line, but it's something of like, you know, what the like the cool hands Han Solo type guy would say over a dead body, not what the Jedi would say over a dead body. And I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if that's supposed to show that Ezra is still in a kind of like morally gray place or if that's supposed to show that they just they made up the audience hate this guy because he was a slaver. And so they wanted us to have a moment and kind of forgot what it would say about Ezra's character. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was very noteworthy. Yeah. And just I, in my opinion, like, you know, we're talking about this whole thing of evil races and dealing with a villain in this way. Again, like, I don't think you would see a human villain like dispatched in this way by Ezra mm-hmm. or for him to react in that way. I don't know yeah i mean i th- I think like matthew mentioned it, it has more to do with their position as like slave master right which is not a very sympathetic role um that it's kind of like well you're clearly a jerk therefore aim to fall into the fire with you yeah i mean i'm trying to think of other like huck certainly his death is like he gets blown halfway across the room and we the audience are supposed to laugh and enjoy that uh, he's human, and for all intents and purposes, a schmatzy. So, like, I think that's very clear that that one's supposed to be enjoyed. Um, I think most of the other deaths like that are droids. And yeah, I think we've talked about how it's a little weird that those are played for comedy. I'm trying and to think like, who else. Stormtroopers, too, but also they're like so dehumanized with their monolithic mm-hmm. armor, right? Yeah. Yep. Phasma has, I think, a very kind of like, again, it's not quite. Finn, Finn defeats her, but then she falls to her death. But Finn makes absolutely no move to try and save her and looks kind of pretty self-satisfied when she dies. Yeah. Oh, you think Phasma's dead, do you? <laughs> this this is like... fall and get cut in half. Yeah. 20, and 20, 20 years from now, Book of Boba Phasma is going to come out. <laughs> Somehow she survives. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I don't think Gwendolyn it. Christie was used to her full acting yeah. potential. Yeah. Nor was the character. Nor was the... Yeah. yeah, nor was the rivalry between her and Finn, so I have no problem bringing her back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. if Maul can do it, why not? Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think you make an important distinction between like Ezra not taking action and just letting something mm-hmm. happen versus like taking direct action. Like if he had pushed the guy over, then I think yeah. it'd be maybe a little more suspect. Uh, but I don't think. I don't know. I don't think that this speaks back to him going back to the days of like mind controlling people to walk off cliffs, right? Like I think he's, right. he's kind of he's still come beyond that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I think I don't really have much else to say about this episode. I feel like it. The the point of this episode was to get our heroes from Lothal to Yavin, and to also show us that Hera has has convinced people that. Now we're all in Yavin and we're all going to go back to Lothal because we're, we're going to marshal for the big attack and that this is going to be kind of the next big attack by the um, uh, by by our heroes. Um, and I think it does a good job of that. Like, I now know where we are and I'm ready for the next episode. But, yeah, there isn't too much more to comment on. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, okay, uh, the, the captain might have been voiced by Mark Hamill, maybe. I didn't look that up at all, but it sounded like him. I don't know if uh, <laughs> you want to fact check that little tidbit quickly and or talk about Mark Hamill and Star Wars. But other than that, yeah, I don't really have. Well, if we're going to talk about voice actors, I, I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, Vizago's voice voice actor is Keith Zarabachka. Well, I I wanted to acknowledge this because I'm often the person who's like, hey, this voice actor. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Keith mm-hmm. Zarabachka has been doing a stand up job with this Vizago nice. character. Yeah, he's a very fun character. He's a very recognizable character. I definitely enjoy him. Yeah, so I think it's about all we can say. Uh, once again, I'm glad we got to talk about these episodes. Not everyone has to go super long. We will chat a little bit more in our Patreon section in just a moment. Uh, but for now, Riki and Sarah, where can people find you? Hey, you can find me on Twitch um, and Twitter at Rikipedia Go, R-I-K-I-P-E-D-I-A-G-O. And I stream Pokemon Go PvP battles. Talk about Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pokemon. <laughs> all Pokemon. Pokemon kind. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, Sarah Hayashi Art is my handle. I think there's dots between all those words. Uh, but yeah. Yep. We still have a couple of Sarah Hayashi mugs that we got for uh, Christmas a couple of years ago that are quite good. I definitely advise people to check a look at those. And for those who don't know, I am The Ethical Panda. You can find me at theethicalpanda.com. Uh, you can also find me on most of the social medias. Uh, right now, as far as I can tell, the rats are abandoning the sinking ship of Twitter. Yeah. But there are lots and lots of different ships that they're going to. And there are lots and lots of reports that this will finally be what does in Twitter. Uh, we're hearing for the fifth time. So... Uh, instead of trying to create an account and all these different things, I'm going to kind of wait a little longer. I would love to get off Twitter, um, see where kind of most people are going. If you've got directions you want me to go, please let me know. Um, but I will kind of keep following that. But of course, if for now you can still keep following me on Twitter, on um, Facebook, on TikTok. Definitely check out TikTok. We're putting out a lot of new content there. Um, I'm now starting to twit to, well, I should say I'm starting to stream. I streamed once two weeks ago and haven't done it since because I've been traveling a lot. But I am going to try and get back into a regular habit with streaming, also under The Ethical Panda. But most importantly, send us feedback. Let us know what you think. Uh, we also have a Patreon. It's the best way to support us and what we're doing with these projects. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. We'd love any kind of help and support you can give us, uh, especially as we're getting ready to go into the Ahsoka episodes. So stick around for the Patreon section. But until then, on behalf of myself, Sarah, and Riki, thank you all so much. We have spoken. All right. Welcome back, patrons. So uh, I don't know if it's going to actually be in the final episode, but we we're talking at the end of the last ep- the, uh, the end of that episode just then about whether or not um, it was Mark Hamill who was the voice of the, the captain. It was, in fact, um, uh, Seth Green, uh, although Mark Hamill de- certainly does appear as a number of parts beyond just Luke Skywalker at various things. Many of you probably actually know him as the Joker much more than you know him as Luke Skywalker, which baffles me. But, you know, that makes sense. Um, but, uh, for Riki and Sarah, but especially Riki for you, acknowledging voice actors, I know is something that's been really important to you and something that I, I really hadn't given much thought to until you really kind of, uh, pushed me to think more about it. Where, where does that kind of interest come from for you or kind of just give you a chance to kind of talk more about that, about what, what it is about voice actors that really kind of interests you and something you wanted to pay more attention to? 
Well, I mean, for me, it's because they are they are actors. Like, just take away the mm-hmm. voice part. They're, they are acting these roles just as much as, you know, when we talk about Mark Hamill, like, he is Luke Skywalker to us, right? Right. Um, Harrison Ford is Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones again, apparently. But mm-hmm. I think the, you know, these, when it's live action, it's much easier and understandable to make that connection with the performer mm-hmm. and they are recognizable because you physically see them with animation yep. often the voice actor you know some they, there have been shows now where they have made the character look like the voice actor whether mm-hmm. like the video game right uh jedi survivor cal Kestis, right for example and, and m- m- most of the other characters i believe so that that has been something that's been happening. But when you talk about something like Star Wars, you're, you know, like a Trandoshan, you're not going to make that look like the voice actor, obviously. So I think it's very important to acknowledge the people who are bringing these characters we love to life. And I also just like, it's fun because when you start to recognize some of the voices, like Mark Hamill, you know, as the Joker, mm-hmm. and he he's in a lot of other like dc stuff as similar characters like he's played the trickster actually he played the trickster in live action too on the flash tv show mm-hmm. um but even clancy brown who plays Ryder azadi on star wars rebels in the dc animated universe he plays lex luthor and so yeah. like that he is another person who's right up there uh, with Mark Hamill as one of the most recognizable voices. And, and if you watch a lot of cartoons, you just start to pick up on it. You're like, oh, wait, that's Mark Hamill as, I believe, like Taskmaster maybe in some of the Avengers mm-hmm. cartoons and stuff like that. He skips in a regular show. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's for me, it's really fun to like hear voices you recognize and, and know who they are. And that, that has led me to look at, you know, when we cover Rebels, to look at the cast more often and then see, like, oh, hey, like, that's that's a name I recognize. I or even that's... if it's not, to then, like, understand who that is and see maybe if they show up in something else. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it... oh, go, go ahead. Uh, I, think, I also think it's interesting, and I think this is, like, a, a Disney phenomena, but um, the the idea of, like, non-voice actors taking on voice acting roles and having it be sort of like um i guess like a statement piece or like a a, a draw um i'm specifically thinking mm-hmm. of i think it's mel gibson who plays john smith in pocahontas this is the 90s uh so i don't know before all the mel gibson stuff really happened but that was like a big um draw was that like oh it's a real quote-unquote actor voicing right. this character um and and i i know that i'm kind of guilty of it too where i only really call out voice actors who i, I think have that kind of novelty of like oh this is yeah mark hamill or um seth green in the case of, of um mm-hmm. who the voice actor actually was but yeah um and there are like some notable exceptions right like tara strong i think comes to mind as like a very notable voice actor mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean you don't you don't get to see their face so it's like harder to, to have that recognition maybe or at least like in my mind yeah well i think it also really it helped 
to me, I think one of the real talents some of these people have, and I think Mark Hamill is really high up there, it, it just broke my brain when I realized Mark Hamill was the voice of the Joker mm. in Batman the Animated Series mm. because it, it is such a different character. And, and then when you really listen closely, you can hear some of the same vocal intonations, but it is so different. And I think it really allows, like when you look at a person, you're just always going to see that person and often see the other roles they've played. When it is just their voice, it, it it kind of allows in some ways for that actor to have so much more range because you're just you're not you're not bringing any of that baggage in, especially if you don't know going in who's the actor. Yeah, um, there's an actually there's an interesting video um, from a voice actor, the Pro Pro ZD on YouTube, um, mm-hmm. who's talking about this idea of like, oh, I can recognize it's your voice, therefore you're a bad voice actor, being like. A wild statement, right? Because you recognize the voice of every other, like, non-voice actor and their appearance, movie to movie, and that doesn't take you out of mm-hmm. it. So, like, the yeah, the idea of, like, what is a good voice actor, I think gets kind of... Like, yeah, part of it is, you know, maybe the ability to, to change and have this sort of vocal transformation, but also just, like, the capacity to voice act. Yeah, go ahead. But they... But, but so, like, Mark Hamill... So let me... Mark Hamill does change. Like, yeah. The yeah. Joker is very different from the trickster, even though, like, you might think of them as similar characters. Like, I can tell them apart. And then that's very different from another uh, person, Fire Lord Ozai mm-hmm. in Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Like, you can recognize that it's Mark Hamill. Or, or we're like, is that Mark Hamill? And then we look it up and it is. Mm-hmm. But. He does such a good job of making them all different. And, I mean, if we're talking about Star Wars, the, the king of this is uh, D. Bradley Baker, who yeah. does all the clones in the animated Star Wars shows and makes them all sound like different people. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think he's, he really blows it away in that regard. For sure. And I think that that's kind of coming around to the sort of point of, like, D. Bradley Baker is not radically transforming his voice clone to clone. Right, right. It, it's just like that the acting right. that is making these different yeah. characters, even though he doesn't, you know, like uh, yeah, I, yeah. I I think he is intentionally, he is intentionally trying to say all of these characters have the exact genetic same vocal yes. cords, yeah, and so they're going to have the same vocal range in a way that is very different from what Hamill is doing. Let me ask though a related question to this. Because I, to me, one of the things I think is most fascinating about this, and part of what got me thinking about it is, you know, I, I'm trying to pay less and less attention to the Hollywood award shows, like the Oscars and the Emmys and stuff like that. But I always do pay a little bit of attention, in part because I kind of think, like, it is interesting to me to see how much do those things pay attention or not pay attention to sci-fi and fantasy and, and stuff like that, where I think a lot of really incredible art is being created, but not often being recognized. Mm. And... In Across the Spider Verse, which have you all seen that movie? No, not yet. Okay, <laughs> is that that's the new no one? No spoiler. Right? Yeah, no yeah. spoilers whatsoever. But there are some incredible acting jobs, and and people have been talking about like, yeah, that movie should be should be nominated not just for best animated movie, but just best movie. It's mm-hmm. that good. And it got me thinking about so what does it mean to be a best actor? Because the voice of the character is obviously a big part, but so is the physicality. So is how the character carries themselves. And so if you're thinking about a character that is just an amazing character, I feel like right now we give all the credit to the voice actor and and probably so that's very deserved. 
how much credit do you think for like the power that a character has on screen should also be going to the animators as opposed to the voice actors specifically? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And especially because like it's probably not one animator, right? It's, it's probably a whole team right. of extraordinarily underpaid animators who are, you know, all working on this character. So then do you do you chalk it up to the character designer and like, yeah, this is a, this is a really interesting conversation of like who is the ultimate like author of a, mm-hmm. a piece of art, right? Um, and I I think fundamentally it's not one person; it's always like a, a team effort, even even if it's like like you think of more traditional fine art of like a painter, right? It's not just that one guy doing the painting. There's mm-hmm. like a whole team of background people. Sometimes even a whole literal workshop of background people doing the actual work yeah i don't know tricky tricky stuff deep philosophy stuff almost like that's what you're sure I mean, I mean like this even applies in a live action performance yeah exactly um mm-hmm. I, I heard an interview from tom hanks and he was asked like when you are filming something can you tell that it's going to be good and he's like no absolutely not because mm. the actor goes in and does you know like 20 takes of one scene and the director like gives them direction to try different things and tom hanks doesn't know which one is going to make the final cut Mm. right like a lot of that is up to the director and the editors to piece it all together so yeah like those people are adding to the performance by choosing select cuts Mm -hmm. for example yeah i think it's it just like it speaks a lot to our sort of like hierarchy of art forms as mm-hmm. to like what we consider yeah like best picture right and the idea that it's, it's right. like um a corner case if it's an animated movie because that's not a real picture right a real contender it has to be mm-hmm. right like, i think beauty and the beast famously won like best picture but yeah like, is at least nominated yeah, yeah. I, I mean like this past year everything everywhere all at once was obviously like very personally meaningful to me as a Asian American, but as a fan of like science fiction and fantasy and all that, like the breakthrough of this genre of movie winning best picture, I right. think is, is also very important for mm-hmm. the industry and for people to acknowledge like this was art. Yeah. Or like, yeah. yeah. Cause like sci-fi often gets like relegated yeah. to those. I, and I remember feeling that on so many levels down to even where, when Jamie Lee Curtis won the actor won the award for best supporting actress, frankly, I thought that both the other actress from Everything Everywhere All at Once and also um, um, Angela ba- Angela Bassett from um, uh, Black Forever, Panther, yeah. Uh, yeah, Wakanda Forever, both of them I thought were better than Jamie Lee Curtis, but also in a weird way that was its own genre. That was kind of like a lifetime achievement for her work in horror movies, which had never mm-hmm. really been acknowledged and. And that, I mean, gets into all the stupid politics and stuff there. But yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing because like, you know, I think that the, the voice acting is so powerful, but how do you separate that from the animation? Mm-hmm. But the same way, like, okay, you say, oh, this actor played this villain so well. He was so menacing. Okay, but how much of that is due to the costume and how much of that is due to the cinematography and the lighting and, and all this? And so... Yeah, maybe the answer is that we we have awards for those other things as well. And so the acting part is the voice acting. But we also say for the animator of different characters or things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, and maybe also kind of what you were saying, like it shows that 
that all this is kind of silly and these arbitrary categories are arbitrary and we should just talk about the greats instead of trying to put them on a list of who's the best every year. But I like award shows. It's my guilty pleasure. I also, I mean, I think that there's also like a case to be made for the segmenting as well, right? Because um, like I, I was talking to somebody recently about the idea of like best actor versus best actress, right? And like on like sporting mm-hmm. events, higher testosterone isn't necessarily going to make you act any better. Um, mm-hmm. But they were saying like, yeah, if we didn't have best actress though, then like women would never win this category. So it's like, yeah, okay. Excuse me? No, no. If it was just like best in acting, it would always be dudes winning it. Right. Look at the best Meryl Streep. How? How? She hasn't. How many um, awards has she actually like gone for? Anyway, yes, Meryl Streep is like a good corner case, but also like the the number of women who have won best actor, uh, best actress in movies that were not in the top one hundred in revenue that year is very high because there's a Best Actress award, we have to pay attention to the women in the best roles, oh, of which there okay. are I, always I, I, very I think few. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Not saying that, like, women are shitty actresses. Okay. Not an adult. They are Society not, they does are not, not getting the roles yes. that would get the recognition. Or, like, that just, like, I mean, it's the whole, like, right. I, yeah, affirmative yeah. action just being struck down, too, is kind of, like, an example of yeah. why we need these, like, distinct categories. Otherwise, you just never look into those categories and you ignore but at the same time we now have a number of very talented actors who are non-binary yeah and like which award do they get like that's a real question yeah no there like needs to be i mean i yeah it's we got a very nuanced topic but i think like obliterating the whole thing and being like well it's just based on pure merit entirely is also like we're not ready for that as a society i think that's a good end goal but we are not there yet I want to go back to Mark Hamill, yes. <laughs> where we started, because I think it's so important to acknowledge that his career at the after Return of the Jedi just stalled, right? Mm. Like he was one of those unfortunate people who got typecast or like people could only see him as Luke Skywalker and he didn't mm. get that much stuff. Like I remember seeing him in some like TV movie called Earth Angel. And it was not yep. a very good movie. I'm like, wow, this is Mark Hamill. This is like late 80s, early 90s. And so him getting into voice acting and like landing that role as the Joker, which I feel like really propelled his career in, in the in the field, mm-hmm. was just like very important. And it's unfortunate that that happened to him and he had to go through yeah. that. But I'm glad that I'm glad that it happened. Yeah, there's an interesting. I mean... Go ahead, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, there, uh, there's an interesting, like, anecdote on um, Batman the Animated Series, uh, if you can get the, like, director's commentary, where they talk mm-hmm. about uh, Mark Hamill coming in and auditioning for the Joker, and it's it's well worth a listen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Carrie Fisher mostly became a writer and a director, mm-hmm. and Harrison Ford went on to have one heck of a career, but he's, for people who were sort of big stars in a particular genre, yeah, it, it's, the, the Mark Hamills are much more common than the Harrison Fords. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, Harrison Ford kind of continued. Well, not really, I guess. I was going to say, like, the action adventure, thinking of Indiana Jones. But also, he did, like, the fugitive and all that kind of stuff, too. So, Blade like Runner. action Blade thriller. Runner sci-fi. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 All right. So, I think it's a good place to wrap up our Patreon section. Thank you guys so much, as always, to our patrons. You're what makes it happen. Thank you all so much. Metal. Yeah, I I enjoy the Patreon section for the unhinged rants. That's great. <laughs> That's what oh. you pay the big bucks for. 